Hello, oh fad lads and lasses. Christmas has come and gone, which also means the time to enter the oh fad Christmas deliveryway has also come and gone. We want to thank you for everyone who entered. We had 88 entrants with nearly 1,000 entries, and we have a winner who we will now reveal to the world. Caleb could not join us today because he is some combination of too busy and too cool. So to help with this big announcement, we have a special guest, which is the drum that I used to use when I was trying to be a cool worship leader guy. So I can do a drum roll before we reveal the winner. And so the winner of the first ever OFAD Christmas Deliveaway is... Nah, need a little more. Eric Rodriguez. You have won the OFAD Christmas Deliveaway. Uh, so Eric has won his choice of either Bob Inc.'s Reform Dogmatics, the complete set, or a $100 gift card to Reformation Heritage Books. We thank you to everyone who entered. Thank you to our paid subscribers who helped to make this deliveryway possible. If you want to see more things like this, consider becoming a paid subscriber, support the show, help us make the show better, more fun, more interesting. Again, thank you to everyone. Congratulations, Eric, for your win. And just a couple of show announcements. We will be releasing an episode this week. Obviously, you're listening to it. December 27th, also my birthday. We will not be releasing a show next week. We'll be taking a week off for New Year's. Uh, but we will be back the following Tuesday, back on our regular schedule with more on our series on Christ and culture. So thank you all for listening. Thank you for entering. Thanks for your support of Once for All Delivered. And enjoy this week's episode. Contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. In times of spiritual and moral chaos, it can be hard to discern truth from error and to apply it to all of life. God's word is not silent, and we don't have to be either. This is Once for All Delivered with Caleb Castro and Andrew Smith. Welcome to Once for All Delivered, a podcast where we talk and you listen i am andrew smith oh sorry i forgot to talk and listen i am the uh number two of two of co-hosts caleb castro well are you installing like a rank system uh probably i mean really you do the bulk i think of of you know things and stuff uh that's generally related to the podcast and you kind of let me just kind of banter and rant i suppose man i mean that's kind of all this is is bantering and ranting and i guess there is you know some production and promotion and stuff but we should that's we should condense that down to a single word uh uh 
uh, rantering. Rantering. The act of bantering and ranting. Uh, what about just bant? I have banted today. Thou bantest. Well, let us begin this rantification session uh, with, uh, well, things that we are going to be and talking words. about. In and words. And topics. And topics. And today's topic... Well, and so you kind of see in this brief 40,000 foot survey of the history, kind of how we get into some of these issues and questions that we face in our day, because we have a nation that, um, and really even in the history of the church too, a church and state, you know, However much we do or don't want them to, church and state come into contact. The interests of church and interests of state, sometimes they agree, sometimes they find themselves at odds. And we're living in a day now where more often than not, they do seem to find themselves at odds. And so we're faced with the question, what do we do? What is right for us as Christians? What is biblical? What does our doctrine and what do the scriptures teach us concerning the relationship of church and state? And how, if at all, can we apply this into the situation in which we live? That last one right there, uh, I want to state that another way too. Can Christianity and Christian ideas influence the moral thought or direction in, in even just atmosphere, if you will, character of a country or of, of, of a government? And should it? Uh, so if we, well, we were talking about theocracy, say, being a danger, then uh, you have the danger of that on one side, but then you have a secular pluralism on the other side. Okay, so th those those are certain types of extremes. So what extent can or should Christians or let's just say the church churches get involved in political matters, political affairs in how what is this right way? Can and should our ideas influence civil leaders? And that really is the big question, and there's a lot of different answers. On the one hand, you have some who do want to establish a Christian theocracy in the United States and in other countries like it that, as it stands now, are Western pluralistic democracies or constitutional republics or something of the sort. Uh, on the other hand, you have people who are fine with pluralism. Uh, like I said, some of the opinions that have come out on the Respect for Marriage Act, the idea that the, the spheres of, of the church and of the state are so separate that ne'er the twain shall meet. And we'll get into some of these positions in detail as we go along. Uh, is it some sort of middle way, some sort of intervening position where uh, church and state interact and are influenced in some ways and not others. These are the questions we have to unpack. And it's not an easy task, uh, but I think it's a very important task. I mean, a lot of the issues we're facing in our day uh, get right at the heart of this question. How do the church and the state relate? How should they relate? What does scripture teach us about this? With scripture, there, there's a number of passages that you know, that, that seem to, first of all, tell uh, Christians, and I, I say seem, uh, that do tell us to be subject to the government. 
to of submission to authorities and to respect them. You can think of even just Romans 13, 1, uh, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Break there for a second. Already in there, you're hearing submission to the government. So does that mean uh, on, on one end, do you um, just go along wholesale and not interfere with whatever they're doing? because God has appointed them there? Or is this a advocacy for something like theonomy or theocracy in that the only legitimate authority is, is that which is from God and is under godly rule? Uh, continuing Romans 13.2, Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. Is there a line towards uh, to how much should be followed? Can there be resistance or even, say, armed resistance, uh, such as in the American Revolution? And again, we're using America as, as the example as, as uh, one, those who live in the United States and have that as our the context of which we best understand. But two, as uh, the United States' model in history is, as we said earlier, uh, a little bit more unique in its concepts uh, at the time that it came about and how much that has shaped it in its its brief history. So can there be legitimate resistance, even though Romans 13.2 says, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. Verse 3, for rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad conduct. So they have a hand in going against evil. Then do what is good and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes for the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing, ministers meaning servants, uh, that he uses as means instrumentality. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed. Uh, and this, this is another question then for uh, the United States, who came about uh, in part from a, uh, a tea tax. You might have heard that phrase, uh, you know, no taxation without representation. Well, that was that was one of the the, the, the last straw, if you will, to spark revolt, uh, or revolution, rather. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Yeah, and there's a lot of things in this passage to go through and to unpack and to parse through. I mean, another question we could raise, for instance... So we look at verse 3, and we talk about, For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. Caleb and I clearly don't use the same Bible translations. But uh, but then it goes on in verse 4, For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. So, we get in these verses a picture of the civil magistrate that seems to be one who conducts his certain his office in a certain way in accordance with the will of God. 
that there is good and there is evil in the eyes of God, and that the magistrate is somehow carrying those out, uh, carrying out, uh, praising the good and punishing the evil. So then the question rises, well, what if they don't? Or for one thing, how do we know if they are? Like, what is the standard of what is good and what is evil here? How do we know if they're not doing it? Are they obligated to do it? And if they don't do it, then what? So, for instance, I mean, in ideally, you would have a magistrate that would always punish murder. I mean, this is explicitly stated in the passage when it's talked about bearing the sword. What's in mind for bearing the sword is that is capital punishment to murderers. That is what that is referring to. So what happens if a government fails to exercise capital punishment on murderers? You know, we could look, for instance, in our nation's recent history, the last 50 years or so concerning abortion, and we would believe as Christians that abortion is murder. And not only has abortion in many places been legalized and gone unpunished, but in fact it has been endorsed and paid for and supported by the civil government. So what do we make of a situation like that where the government that we have seems very far from this purpose as a government that this passage prescribes? Yeah, exactly. It's the question of lines. Where is the line? Because some use the examples that, uh, I mean, under persecution, Christians, you know, were still in submission. But that's in submission to the legislation of wherever they were living uh, in a time of persecution, insofar as it did not interfere with their uh, worship of God. There's something of a clear-cut understanding that, uh, fairly clear-cut, I should say, understanding that if there is not interference with the meeting uh, and the preaching of the word, then typically we're not uh, big scruples against uh, very certain laws. But that example Andrew had used, something like abortion, do Christians stay silent on a civil matter that has to do with taking of life. Should Christians or churches or groups lobby or go into protests or write senators, write congressmen, uh, or even should things against abortion be preached in the church and to what extent? At what point does the church become a, a soapbox for political ideas and cultural commentary? But on the other end, are we just entirely embracing a quietism by only looking at, by, by, by embracing a strict hermeneutic of exposition that excludes uh, application of Christian thought to cultural matters where Christians will have to, you know, figure out, uh, well, Christians will have to live uh, you know, in the world while not being of it. And a question within that question is if Christians and if churches are, you know, part of the church or what have you is going to engage in these issues with the civil sphere, with the civil magistrate and people in politics and the like, on what standard do they make their appeal? Can we, for instance, appeal to a pluralistic or even pagan civil magistrate on the basis of scripture? And if so, what scripture? And if so, how? Uh, these are all questions that come to bear on this. We'll also have to consider here the commandment of you know, the Ten Commandments of honor your father and your mother. 
for that is, uh, yes, in application to family uh, and parents, but in extension, it is talking about uh, the, the command is talking about authorities over you, such as the father and mother over the citizen, which is the uh, state or country rulers, governors, kings, uh, presidents, so on, so forth. Those who are authorities over you from the least to the greatest. And yes, uh, we realize we are, we are, you know, asking and posing the questions uh, without hitting the answers directly at this moment, because we are, uh, as we said in this at the beginning, uh, laying something of an introduction here to the matter. It is, is a very wide uh, and, and complex concept that, I mean, really, we don't pretend to know the greatest or fullest uh, solution. Even before coming on, before coming on recording, Andrew and I were were spitballing for some 20 to 30 minutes uh, about uh, various models um, just from our readings and unintentionally related to this this recording session today, um, just talking about what could be done for a thriving Christianity without having the, the I don't want to use the, the I'll say it, but I, I don't necessarily mean it to its full extent uh, in, in its force, the delusion um, or the over-optimism, the idealism of turning back a country and reorganizing the system into which it has developed, uh, the government system into what it's developed, and turning it back into a Christianized nation and, uh, and, and a, a restoration of Christendom. We don't want a restoration. We can't deny what or remove the influence that has since come up in uh, in a society, in a culture. It's now here in our history and our present. It might change, but it will now always be here, this pluralism and this secularism and push away from Christendom. So this is not to say Christianity cannot make an impact or will not make an impact. It will. But we have to be careful with the ideals of uh, oh, we want to return to a former conservatism, tra- traditionalism, uh, or even greater Christian influence society like it was in the past. We can't go back to the past. Right. I suppose another way to frame this question would be, I think we could all pretty well, at least here in America, those who live here and see what's going on here, we can see that we're in something of a, a moment of crisis, a crisis of morality, a spiritual crisis in the church in many ways uh, because of, you know, false teachings and the like uh, creeping in. So the question is, what is the way out? How do we deal with this? Is the way out backwards? Is it to something in the past, to recovering some sort of perceived golden age? Um is the way out forward? Do we just continue to press on the way we're going and hope that it all works out uh, as we see increasing encroaching on the church, as we see restriction of uh, the proclamation of the word of worship and things like that? Or do we need to find another way, a better path forward? And another question we can attach to this too is, should we let the good be the enemy of the perfect? I know people often have a lot of high ideals about a reestablished Christian nation, about 
even having theocracy under biblical law and things of this sort. And like I said, this this high idealism that uh, just at the end of the day, when we look at the situation we're in, there's really not a clear path from here to there. So are we going to get so stuck on ideals and pushing ideals that work in books and in in the academy that can't really be implemented on the ground? I don't think we're going to find a solution in ideals that, for instance, would require us to banish roughly half of our nation on the first day. Like, that's just not plausible. We need to come up with better intermediate solutions. Yeah, and is it a, is it a denial of, of the matter? Is it a kind of just a, a cop-out or escaping uh, escapism of the matter to just retreat away from society? Like, uh, I mean, th- this was a solution on a personal basis by uh, monks in the early days of the church, uh, as monasticism rose in the third and fourth century, uh, the solution was escape. And this, this you know, broadened away from just a personal monastic life, but then also a cloistered monastic life, a group of people who wanted to escape the world. This was the solution of the Anabaptists, entirely cutting off from uh, involvement in society and going into their own uh, communes of sorts. And But this is also... Uh, a tendency of Christians in at least the United States, I'm aware of, from even the late 19th century, to kind of treat this world as a sinking ship and to not want to touch it. And try, this is a common thing with um, those in broad evangelicalism uh, of sorts and in, in, in Methodistic and uh, those with certain more uh, Anabaptistic roots in America looking to stay away from the unclean society. The matter is that Andrew was talking about the ideals of, say, like a return to a Christendom, a return to a kind of more theocratic model, as had been uh, kind of the default mode throughout church history, like we spoke of in our 40,000-foot overview. But remember what I said earlier um, in, in paraphrasing B.K. Kuyper, that the Edict of Milan and Constantine's permissibility of of having um, tolerance for uh, Christianity as a recognized religio uh, of the Roman Empire. This and then the move towards Theodosius I in making it the state church introduced the issue of the church and state as a perennial issue, recurring issue. And so even then, as culture develops, as culture changes, as people change over time, there's going to have to be a new way to a new way of, of kind of wrestling with these ideas. But the fact of the matter is that Christendom has been implemented and tried for a very long time, for many centuries. And even amongst Christian and Protestant countries like say in Scotland where the reformation did end up taking root very strongly eventually there was persecution of christians wanting to have their own way of worship even in the netherlands uh in the 19th century where the state church was the reformed uh was the reformed church the interference from the government made it where, uh, uh, coupled with modernism and, and liberal tendencies, 
made it where it was not the right move to to stay with the national church and so uh, in order to to worship god freely and rightly and so you had a group who seceded from the national church and some of them even ended up in the united states to have better opportunities to uh practice their worship without being ostracized by the rest of society and the state church so this is to say that the ideal of theocracy is a great ideal insofar as it is what we will be under, in a sense, um, in the new heavens and new earth, in a perfect governance under Christ the King in glory without sinners, a purely Christian eternal government. But at present, as the kingdom is manifest but not yet consummated, and as Christ is still King... At this moment, in his reigning and involved in all things, theocracy must remain an ideal, and an ideal which has been implemented and attempted in various ways and uh, has ended badly at some point or another, simply because the people, the political model may not be a bad idea, but people are, are wicked. Even professing Christians mess up uh, and can make bad choices, be tempted, given to sin. We are still sinners and in the flesh. So in this episode, we've done something you might find a little bit frustrating. We have asked a lot of questions. We've raised a lot of issues. Not really offered much in the way of concrete answers or solutions. Um this is a series. We've got somewhere we're going and we want to get to with this. We're just uh, building some foundations and laying out some of the issues that we uh, will now come back to and address in more detail in our subsequent episodes. So we thank you for bearing with us. We hope you've enjoyed this talk. We hope you've learned something. As always, if you have any questions, you can Reach us on social media at OFAD Podcast or email us OFAD Podcast at gmail.com. Of course, you can also go to our website, onceforalldelivered.com. You can see what we're putting out there. To get the latest updates, you can subscribe for free or you can get a paid subscription to help us fund the cost of putting on the show if you like what you hear and you want to support us in that way. But we appreciate you joining us. Uh, and we hope you'll join us again next time. Also, we still need a catchy ending line, so if you've got one, send it to us. We're open to suggestions. Or that will become our catchy uh, ending line trademark. That we don't have one and need one. Exactly. We don't have one, we need one. Please send that and money. <laughs> yeah, but especially money. But you don't have to send money. But if you want to, you can. Yeah, we're 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 mostly joking. It's uh, you know we've never used Patreon before in the two years of podcasting. Um, you know we consider it and whatnot, but we you know we we're always fearful of how much uh, people want to be you know subjected to our banter and and, and lack of witticism. But uh, if if you do support us on a, on a Patreon. It's Substack now. Sorry, Substack. We'll try to think of something funny to say. Yeah. Well, we'll come up with some way to make it worth your while. <laughs> we don't know what it is yet, but we will. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode. For the latest news and updates, 
visit our substack at onceforalldelivered.com, where you can also support our work with a paid subscription. You can also follow us on social media at OFAD Podcast. If you like what you have heard, leave a five-star review where you get your podcasts and spread the word about the show. Once For All Delivered is hosted by Andrew Smith and Caleb Castro and produced by Andrew and Heidi Smith. We hope you will join us again next time on Once For All Delivered.